You're listening to episode four of season six of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, virtual teams, real challenges. Hi, I'm Diana Larson. And I'm Sharon Buckmaster. Together, Sharon and I are the founders of FutureWorks Consulting. Now in our sixth series of podcasts about leadership and organization development and change. Hi, Sharon. We haven't had a chance to get together and talk for quite a little while, and so I'm really happy we're doing this podcast today. Yep. And and I'm happy we're doing it on virtual teams because you and I sometimes end up working more as a virtual team than as a co-located team. This is true. Just because our, our work takes us in different, our work with clients take us in different directions, but right. we still have the work of managing and running future works that right. we then that end up doing virtually. Right. And so I was interested when recently um, the Harvard Business Review published an article by Keith Ferrazzi on uh, getting virtual teams right. Mm-hmm. And, and because both of us do a lot of work with teams, I felt like, you know, this is good for us and it's good for the clients that we work with. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, um, so I I sent you the article, and I'm curious what your yes, and, and I want to know why you had that before I did because when you sent it to me, it was like um, it's from the latest issue, right. and I had to laugh. Evidently, you get your issue uh, almost a full week before I do. No. Oh, I get tweets about the issue. Before oh, you all righty. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. I, I saw it. Someone tweeted about it, and okay. so I followed it up and read it. Okay. So that's all that's right. the big difference. Okay. <laughs> it's sources of information, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm hoping to read the whole issue on my flight on Saturday. That's funny. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, once again, pointing out the <laughs> advantages and disadvantages of being... Yeah. Sort of a semi-Luddite, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to tweet. Sorry. All right. <laughs> All right. So what was your, what, how did you, when you looked over this article, what, was, what were some of your responses to it? Well, I thought it was an excellent article in terms of the things that it lays out about what makes an effective team an effective team. What, yeah. in a way, there was not much in there that really was specific to a virtual team that I couldn't also argue actually applies to yeah. um, to virtually any team. Virtually, sorry, yeah. bad <laughs> no choice of words. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that it reminded me about was um, a distinction that um, uh, Deborah Ancona from um, or is she, uh, from MIT made when she did some writing years back about teams, where she talked about um, three tiers of team members, the core team, the operational team, and the, the, um, the outer, the outer uh, ring of the team, if you will, what mm-hmm. you um, in, in Liftoff call the project community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was recently um, facilitating some work with um, this fairly large team of people that are working on one project at um, a school district. And 
um, they don't have a good way yet to really think about those distinctions. And so what I was observing as I was watching this group was a lot of people weighing in on too many decisions. And, and um, so uh, I, I was thinking then that that's the next step for this group to get mm -hmm. clearer about you know, who's involved in which decision and why, and, uh, and not leave that as fuzzy as it is now. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I remember that that, that framing was, was a helpful one. But um, that aside, um, you know, they're talking about team size, not having it be too big, and um, having working agreements, which mm -hmm. I think what, what is also a liftoff. Yeah. Right, of course. Yeah. And, yeah. and it would be part of any chartering for a, right. for a team. Um, and I think they, they refer to them maybe as, as work rules. Yeah, um, they may, yeah. Oh, I think the, the interesting, one of the interesting things I thought about this, which is, which is a thing that we have d talked about before, but uh, is how virtual teams can come about in a number of different ways. And, and they had a, a, a little heuristic here for calculating what they call the virtual distance. And I would think of it as sort of com team complexity factors or, or something like that. But that the more of these types of, of uh, distance are present, mm -hmm. the more difficult it is to really form a team. And the more attention, doesn't mean it's impossible, but just the more attention and investment you're going to have to make in making that team be, um, you know, get get the opportunity to really form as a team. And so they talked about physical distance, yeah. which is the geographic or temporal time zone kind of thing. And that's the one that I think we think of most often when we think about distributed teams or virtual teams, that, that they're in, you know, different locations and there's this physical difference. Yeah, and I don't... I don't see why distance in and of itself is so much of an issue. I mean, the distance, I, I don't think there's really a distinction. If you have one team in L.A. and one in San Francisco, yeah. they're physically separate. Right. But I don't see that that would make a difference if there was between a, a team or people, parts of a team in um, L.A. and Seattle. What I do think is more relevant yeah. is the time zone issue. Time zone issue. Because yeah. that, if you have East Coast and West Coast, right. you know, you've got huge, you know, some people I work with are on the East Coast and they keep wanting to schedule meetings yeah. in the morning. Yeah. And I'm saying, I'm sorry, I really don't like talking to other people before 7 a.m. Right. my time. And I actually really don't like it before eight, yeah. but I'll do seven on rare occasions. Yeah, but that seems to be um, right hard to convey. Well, you know, everyone is time zone centric, right? Sure. I mean, our sure. our perception of the rest of the world, and so that that happens. Um, 
there, there's a lot of research that says, you know, once you get 30 feet away, you are a distributed team. Yeah. Because people will not get up and go talk to somebody who's right. that far. So I think you're right. The difference between, you know, across town in L.A. or San Francisco or Seattle. Right. It is, doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It's all the same time zone. It's still a distance. Right. Um, so, but so that's one thing to take into account, and and I often wondered why so many of the the organizations and teams that I talk to that are in Europe seem to ha- not have much of a problem working with their offshore teams in India, for instance. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, well, they're working with a four or five hour time difference, not a twelve hour time difference. Yeah, even, like we you are know, here, even so the the second um, danger of difference that they say how you calculate this virtual distance they talk about as operational just the putting uh, conditions in the team that just make it difficult to get things done like a, a team that's too big the right team size or or what other kinds of, you know, if you are you drawing from people who have a lot of other commitments, so they're difficult to schedule around, and, and you know, are they already so overloaded with other work that they can't really give attention to whatever this team is working mm-hmm. on? Um, how often they can just get face-to-face, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, do, it, are, if there's technology that's needed to help support this team, do they have the support for that technology that they need? And that I thought that was an interesting distinction because that's not one that I have. I mean, of course, in the agile world, we talk about teams being seven plus or minus two, and there being right. a sweet spot. Right. But I hadn't really thought about it in the sense I've always thought about it in the sense of um, how that adds to kind of communication overhead and stuff. But I hadn't really thought about how that actually affects it. Well, at least not in this way. How that affects the operational ability of the team. And I thought that was a good way of calling that out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the, third, the third danger of distance they mentioned was um, affinity. Um, who has pre-existing relationships? Who doesn't? How do, you, how do you really create that sense of working relationships among sure, the people? cultural ha- differences have or similarities. Have you attended to that? You know, um, and... So I thought that was a, a kind of useful way of thinking when you're getting ready to put together a team where people aren't going to be co-located. Are you thinking about all of those different aspects? You know, and, and, you know, a good, a good thing that um, just occurs to me right. as you're speaking, a good, maybe a good way of thinking about that is, is to have the team engage in a same and different. Oh, Yes. You know, how are the ways in which we're alike? Right. And how are the ways in which we're different? And what are the differences that That are going to make a difference? In our work, yeah. So um, that would be kind of an interesting exercise to do at that point. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that that would be very... And and even just to begin to foster that awareness for the team that they are a complex adaptive system right? and that they right. are going to have to attend to um, those dynamics that come around because right. of that. Right. Yeah. Right. But it was interesting to me that um, also, and I found a lot interesting in here, um, that when teams had a very, a higher calculated distance score, mm-hmm. 
it, it, it had a measurable impact on their ability to get work done. Um, their trust went down 8%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their ability to innovate went down 93%. No, their trust went down 80 At 80, 83%. 83% yeah. Sorry. Their ability to innovate went down 93%. Their personal satisfaction in working together was down 80%. Their performance overall was down 50%. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's those are remarkable numbers. If if I'm trying to if I want to get some work done and I'm thinking about convening a team of people to do that, I want them to be high performing, right? Course. I don't I don't want to set them up for low satisfaction and not really being able to be innovative or or you know, well performing. And so I think that and I, and I wonder how many managers or executives who are putting together some of these virtual teams have stopped to think about how I construct this team, how I assemble this team, how I recruit people to be a part of this team is going to have a big impact on whether or not I'm going to get the outcomes from them that I'm hoping for. Right. And... You know, I I just haven't seen a lot of that behavior <laughs> no, no. in very many um, in very many suites. So that you know, I I mean, I love that that this this article it focuses on you know team leadership, which I like to think of as shared leadership, but not everybody does that. And they talked about um, roles and technology and and touch points, uh, which I. I particularly liked their idea of kickoffs, which, of course, I would call the liftoff. And right. we would, you know, right. we've adopted that at FutureWorks, right. and every team needs that kind of initial place. But um, so I, I really liked how they um, called out these various aspects of yeah. what it takes. And I think you're right. I mean, it's all the stuff that's needed for any team and for a virtual team. It, you just need to crank up the volume. You, it just has yeah. to be amped up even more. Yeah, yeah. And and they also made the point in the article, which which I I think is true, that even people that are in the same location, yeah, if they are let's say on different floors of the same building, to an extent they're already you know, mm-hmm. uh, one level of virtual right. team. And, and that, that um, you know, you think back about how, you know, often over the, all the years we've heard people say, well, people in that department and people in that department. Well, and typically they are not in the same space. They may be at the same address or on the same mm-hmm. campus, but they are in different spaces. They don't see each other all that often. It begins to make more sense how that silo effect, you know, builds up. And um, so I think this article really is pointing out that in, in the absence of people literally sitting together where they are working jointly, see each other face to face all the time, some of these issues 
are operating at some level and therefore need attention. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to produce those kinds of um, drops in, in performance that you were you right. were quoting before right. um, that that you know if if trust goes down eighty some percent right. just because you don't interact with people with any real frequency so you don't have a sense of yeah. who they are and you know all that goes with that right yikes right and there's you know there you know we hear a lot about how easy it is when we don't see people on a regular basis. To begin to, I mean, it's kind of human right. that we begin to fall into that us and them thinking. Right. And the minute we start us and them, trust begins to erode. Right, and we we develop because stories we, because about, we trust us right. way more than we trust them. <laughs> right. right, and and it just yeah, and we and we begin not even consciously to look for uh, evidence that mm. supports that. They are them and not us, mm -hmm. and we hold on to those more closely than they're we hold on. They're not our tribe. They're, yeah, and then we, I mean, there may be equal amounts of evidence to notice that they, they, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, are doing things that support us, but we don't hold on to that as much right. as we do the other stuff. Right, and it's just you know it's a wacky humans. It's a part of how we are hardwired and. To put a, together a virtual team without taking that into account mm -hmm. is... It's foolish. It's foolish. Yeah. yeah, it really is foolish because it's it's not thinking about uh, what all is going to make this team successful or not successful. And... Um, or, or how many barriers you are going to put in the in the way of them being successful. Right. I mean, do we not we want to make that path from here to successful outcome as smooth as possible so we can get there as fast as possible? Or do we want to set up, you know, hurdles and make an obstacle course? You know, it now becomes a, a you know, instead of a, a sprint around a track, it becomes a cross, you know, cross country run where yeah. we're leaping yeah. over logs and things. Right. Um, that's my my one and only athletic metaphor for today. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that's. I mean, I just think that's remarkable. And mm -hmm. somehow I, this article feels like I, I would suggest that in executive suites or management teams or whatever, when they are thinking about putting together cross-functional teams, or putting together virtual teams, and particularly cross-functional teams, because I think that is the best way to get work done, and it carries with it inherently some of these issues, mm -hmm. um, that it would be worthwhile to you know have a bunch of printouts of this article around mm -hmm. and look it over and say, have we considered all of these aspects as we are putting this team, as we are... Thinking about who we want to invite to participate as part of this team, are we thinking about these things? Maybe we should develop a little checklist. That would be a cool thing. Yeah. That, you know, that we would actually very um, deliberately right. try to help folks work their way through right. um, as a way to, you know, not check the boxes, but right. have you considered this, you know, what are you going to do? 
right. to, you know, what state steps can you take to mitigate this, 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 this. Right. So maybe Absolutely. we should yeah. put that on our to-do list. <laughs> our ever-growing to-do list. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, I also would mention that there are a couple of books, I think, that speak to this issue very nicely. One is Scott Birkin's My Year Without Pants, which is a great... Uh-huh. How, how he managed and participated as part of a virtual team. And then Yuta Eckstein um, has a wonderful book about agile software development with distributed teams. Mm-hmm. For So if you're in the software world, and, and maybe even if you're not, she mm-hmm. has a lot of good recommendations mm-hmm. in there. And so I want to make sure that those resources, people know about those resources as well. But boy, is this article a great place to start. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, dear listeners... <laughs> As you think about the teams that you're participating on, if you have insights that we haven't brought up, we'd, we'd love to hear about them. Uh, please add them to the comments um, or, you know, just email us. And, and uh, we, love, we love hearing from our listeners. This has been Episode 4 of Season 6 of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening.